The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Week 8 in the books. Time for that instant reaction that you all are just coming in and joining right here at youtube.com slash cover3 where you can find all of the Cover 3 Instant Reaction shows and, of course, all of the recaps. If you're subscribing on podcasts, thank you so much for that. Please leave us a rating and review. Remember, we are coming in and we are hitting all Wednesday episodes. Get at least one mailbag question. So from the big old bag of mail, you can get in there for this week. Maybe even with your nominations for the Player of the Month, Coach of the Month. Yeah, that's right. We got superlatives coming up. Joined here by... Jack Crosby, Tom Fernelli, Barrett Salee, the, a lot of flowers to go around, a lot of celebration. Uh, Barrett, the Bravos are going to be going to the World Series. Tom, Illinois is one of the big winners of the day. I mean, there's there's just Jack, Florida State won, you know, in the World against UMass and covered. I mean, there's, so there's, hold on. Illinois wins. The Braves break a curse. And Florida, this is the weirdest season of all time. Right Legit. here. I mean, this is the, we already knew that we were going to be invoking all kinds of uh, like strange, you know, 2007 vibes. And, and going into this week, we already looked at it and we said, oh, the week eight's going to be like a letdown week. And, and we always say that just when you look at a college football schedule and say like, hey, listen, uh, this is going to be a boring week. It's going to be everything, you know, just as expected. Sure enough, we've got two top 10 teams go down. One of them, albeit, yes, absolutely an underdog in Oklahoma State. But uh, I do want to begin right there with Penn State losing to Illinois. And the reason why I want to begin is I want to bring back uh, a simple question and a simple debate that was raging on social media throughout the afternoon. And I feel like everyone's gotten some time to digest it. Tom, I think you know your answer. But <laughs> did this game 20 to 18 in, count them, un, deux, trois, Cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, nine overtimes. I mean, Tom even pulled out the whole uh, scoreboard, and it does look like a baseball scoreboard when it you does. see all the zeros and zeros and zeros through all the first overtimes. And no, so, and no sevens, all twos, threes. <laughs> threes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did this game do for your feelings about the new overtime system? Barrett, I'll let you get first crack at this one. I loved it. Look, I mean, people like to complain on the internet. Like, that's what the internet's for. But I loved it, right? Like, you get this. It was sad. Like, normally, you would expect it to be like a score fest, like the LSU-Texas A&M game from a few years back. And obviously, this went in a different direction. But it went in a fun direction, a, a comedic direction anyway. So, I'm look, I'm fine with it. I, I like any version of the college overtime I am totally fine with because I think any of them beat – the NFL's version, and look, you get one play, do or die, nine times each. I, I'm all for that, man. That was fun, it's crazy, com comedic, but fun. I, 
I don't argue that it was fun. I don't argue. It's not for me. It's not like the entertainment aspect because it's like I'm. Some people are going to be entertained by it. Some won't. I just think it's a dumb way to do it. Just simply <laughs> because, like, even if they're scoring on every single one of them, it makes it more entertaining. Probably, although I guess I, in a in a perverse way, watching them fail over and over <laughs> and over again was kind of entertaining. But it also felt like the first four quarters. It's just I I it's the same thing as with like any sport, like when in hockey, when they go to a shootout or in soccer, when they go to penalty kicks, it always drives me nuts when you get kind of gimmicky to settle a game. So I don't like it, but I don't really care either. Because <laughs> like to me, I was fine with the way overtime was like, I thought that was perfectly reasonable giving a team the ball to 25 and just going until somebody didn't score. Mm-hmm. This format to me is I, I don't want to overreact to it because the only reason this format exists is because they overreacted to one game going to seven overtimes. So I don't yeah. want to take one of these things going to nine overtimes and saying that this is stupid and they need to get rid of it because odds are like mathematically two point conversions are a coin flip for the most part. They're like 50, 50. So you're not going to see something like this very often. Most of the time when we get to this format, if they get to a third overtime, it's probably going to end at the fourth by the latest. So I, it, it was terrible because it was two inept offenses who literally could not get three yards and given like seven chances to do so. We should be allowed to be selective with this system. Like <laughs> you should be able to say at the end of Penn state, Illinois, you should be able to look at those offenses and say, you two are absolutely not allowed to do this <laughs> now, on a Wednesday night. With say, I'll just use Appalachian State and Coastal Carolina. If it's like 45 45, you should say, okay, you two have at it. But you they, you should have been able to look at Penn State and Illinois and say, no, 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 we're going to figure out a different way to do this. Because again, it, it was a one sample size we saw today, and it just so happened that we got that's what we got. I'm sure like something like this will happen again. And maybe it doesn't end, but maybe it goes like five, six, maybe we even teeter on seven. And if the game is in the 60s or something, we're all going to sit here and say, well, that was the greatest thing we've ever seen. That was so much fun. (laughs) Today was just the worst possible scenario for us to say, all right, let's give this a go. Also, what drove me nuts, too, is that Illinois in that entire game was running for like six, seven yards a clip. Like they ran for over 300 yards against Penn State, got anything they wanted. And then they get to overtime and they only need three yards and they throw every single damn time. (laughs) It's like hand the ball off. You've been killing them all day. So that, that's the other part of this is why could Penn State not score? And like credit Illinois for showing up and making it happen. And Tom, you've got a really good point just with two-point conversions in general with it being a 50-50 proposition. But to me, the blame falls at the feet of the Penn State offense for not being able to get this because I think you've got – You've got uh, a running back room that's been getting healthier. You've got the best skill position player on the field. Much love to my guy, Chase. You know, much love to all the Chases out here. But, like, <laughs> Jahan Dotson's the best skill position player on the field, both teams. Fair? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so, yeah. like, Although Chase Brown is an NFL player. You, okay. But you can't. Yeah, and the thing is that you can't run every play to Jahan Dotson. You know, it's just mm-hmm. one of those things where, they're, they're, yeah, it makes sense. But I mean, like, look, I don't think at, even at that point, Illinois is going to let that dude beat him. So what? So is it what went wrong for Penn State that prevented it from being able to uh, get out of this? Because the things that made it hilarious for me was really more of the just when you've got a team that has a chance to win. Every single time they handed it right back. What was it? Was it 10 straight? It was five overtime possessions Mm -hmm. of two-point conversions, all with failures. Mm -hmm. Which means 10 straight two-point tries didn't work, and five of them were, if you can get these yards, you win the game, and they still fell short. And Penn State was a better team. They're the 23-point favorite. They are the more talented team. Um, Why could Penn State not get it done? Same that thing was, that's dogged them all year long. They can't run the football. It was yeah. the problem in the Auburn game. They they were able to get by and win a close one. It was their problem against Iowa. It was their problem in the season opener against Wisconsin. Anytime they've run into a defense with a pulse, 
they can't run the ball against it. And this Illinois defense, it was terrible for the first few weeks of the season. Like it got torn apart by UTSA and Virginia. And then they kind of completely changed their scheme and philosophy of what they're doing. And they've been much better over the last five games. So they're playing a Penn State team that couldn't run the ball. And they were playing a Penn State team that can't run the ball with a quarterback who was far below 100%. Because Sean Clifford played today, but he was 70%. At best, you could see it anytime he was trying to throw the ball or anytime he took a hit, he was not feeling great. So it was, they were just, they, they went up against a defense that knew how to stop him and they didn't really have a plan of attack to beat it. Yeah, Thought? this, agree? Th- no, I, I agree with Tom because that's what I was going to say is that what really held Penn State back was that Sean Clifford, I don't know if that kid should have been out on the field, to be honest with you. I, yeah. I don't think, I, like, we're t- we were teetering on, I, I was watching him going, I don't know if he should be even be out there. But then against Iowa, we saw, like, we saw, like, <laughs> what's the better option? Because yeah. I, 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 I've said before, I'm not the biggest Sean Clifford fan in, in, in the world. I, I wasn't last year. I'm, I'm definitely not this year. I wasn't the, even the year before when he had his first year start. And I was like, I just don't like this kid's just not. But then when I saw what the other option was in the Iowa game, I said, well, all right, I guess I have to be a Sean Clifford fan now because he's all they have. But even I don't even know if you can call him 70 percent, Tom. He, he might have been like 50 or 60, that poor kid. <laughs> he might have started at 70 and it just kind of whittled <laughs> down. It just slowly goes down as the years go on. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the, the the two like sort of main football teams here in the state of Pennsylvania each have a running problem. Like the Philadelphia Eagles don't want to run the <laughs> ball and the Penn State Nittany Lions can't run mm. the ball. Pitt mm. can't run either. Either. I was going to say in the state of Pennsylvania, don't don't forget about the Pitt well, I know I, who I also the 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 I did that on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So what about this one? This is a, a good comment from Chris. Uh, you don't care now until it's a playoff game and they use this format would be awful. Is that just, yeah, like yeah. to, to yeah. see a national championship or a college football playoff national semifinal decided by alternating two point conversions would be the saddest thing. I would rather have the hockey style where we yeah. switch up the overtime rules. Yep, and- I agree on that. Same, same thing with baseball this year where they had the run yeah, around second and extra innings. Yeah, all regular season. As soon as the playoffs start, not get rid of that gimmicky crap. It's time to play the real sport. And that's not – I mean, obviously you can't change that this year, but I, yeah, 100% agree. Just, just go back to the way it used to be. It's totally fine in the playoffs. You can always adjust it later if you need to. Just adjust it if it doesn't work year after year after year. You go to a seven-overtime game in the national championship. Yeah, I uh, – I agree with Tom saying let's not overreact again, but let's also overreact and let's change the rules to make sure that in a national, a college yes. football playoff game that will determine the uh, the national champion, um, let's make sure that we are not alternating two point conversions uh, in terms of just flipping a coin to decide who ends up hoisting the trophy. Uh, let's work not totally reverse chronological. Obviously, uh, Penn State Illinois one of the biggest results of. Oh, one more question here, real quick. Uh, Barrett first, does this change the James Franklin stock price or contract negotiations? I, I don't think so. I mean, honestly, I thought James Franklin was just going to use it as a, as a leverage play anyway, right? Like that's the kind of guy he is. I think they're, that he's comfortable at Penn state and yeah, they're probably really mad at him right now, Uh, but he, he fits there. He's recruiting well there. And honestly, I think USC and LSU, once they get past like the star power of James Franklin, could land on really effective and the right hires, not necessarily the splashy hires. So I don't necessarily think it affects it because I think both of those schools are going to ask him, uh, but he's going to play it as, as, a, as a raise. And, and really, I don't think anything changes with what happened against Illinois. It's not the first time James Franklin lost to Illinois. <laughs> they wanted him before. They're still going to want him now. Um, okay, let's work a little bit in reverse chronological order because uh, I was live blogging Notre Dame USC. Uh, so Barrett, I'm gonna lean on you here. Alabama Tennessee got a little yeah. bit dicey, and so I what where I want to start this conversation is where was your concern, and at what point did you believe that the vowels were going to be able to uh, find a way to put a real scare in because. The, from what I was able to glance on a, a side screen, checking in on it from time to time, you know, we look at this and you still have some of the same concerns that you might have for this Alabama team defensively. But at the same time, was anything answered in terms of your confidence in the Crimson Tide with the way that they pulled away for eventually a comfortable win? 
No, I mean, a lot of the concerns are still there. I mean, in fact, they're kind of magnified because we knew going in that they have struggled against the run and that their secondary was suspect. Well, Hendon Hooker lit them up like a Christmas tree. And look, I I know that he's a good player and a warrior, and they've developed some really good players. Javante Payton and Bayless Jones are really good receivers, but that's an awful offensive line. I mean, it is flat out awful. And Alabama couldn't get after the quarterback, and thus their secondary got lit up. So I think the biggest thing with Alabama and why you know they're they might not be a national championship caliber team is because the the perceived strength. I mean, all of us going into the season thought that this was potentially going to be the best Alabama defense that Nick Saban's had, and honestly, right now it might be one of the worst aside from 2007. So uh, you, you know, even though they they go, they pulled away late, and you know it looks pretty on the scoreboard, man. That defense is rough, and you know, I, look, Bryce Young was awesome, uh, Brian Robinson was awesome, but if you can't count on that consistently, and I don't think you can because we've seen them struggle running the football at times, the defense is going to have to play better. But right now, it doesn't look like it can. It's a it's a consistent problem right now, and that's a hundred percent opposite of what I expected and what a lot of us expected. Jack, Tom, any any real concerns with Alabama coming out of this? Just that that secondary is a it, it's it it's it almost seemed to me like they're getting progressively worse. Yeah, and I don't understand like and to to even think that anything on a Nick Saban team is regressing is a scary thought. But it, it almost seems like they're getting worse yeah. in, in the secondary. And if they come up against like like if you look at the collision the potential collision courses, like look at how Ohio State's offense is coming along now. Like say they meet up with Al- this Alabama defense who can't get it together, then it's not going to be like the national championship game last year. It's going to be a way different outcome because C.J. Stroud and those guys will eat them alive. I mean, I think we're overreacting a little bit. Like Tennessee had 282 yards passing and 70 of them came on one play. And Josh Job got burnt to an absolute crisp <laughs> on that Cedric Tillman touchdown. Like it was I, – I don't even – I think it, it was comical. It looked like Cedric Tillman took a running start before the snap. I thought that's what I saw live. I thought he was like, I thought it was like the CFL or the arena football where he was coming up and getting like a in motion running forward before the snap. He burnt him so bad. But I don't know. I, I, I think that even, even if their secondary is a concern, because I don't think it's great. I think that's, it's been that way for a few years now too. If you look at the rest of the schedule, where does it haunt them? Like yeah. they've gotten past Ole Miss. Ole Miss was the one team that you were really concerned about being able to take advantage of them there, but LSU is probably not going to do it. Maybe New Mexico State or Arkansas, Auburn, maybe. You know, Bonix has been playing better as of late. And then if they get to the SEC championship and play Georgia, we have no idea if Georgia is going to be capable of exploiting it because Georgia hasn't had a need to show anybody whether it's capable right. of exploiting that kind of stuff. So for me, it is the weakness on that defense. I'm not really concerned about it, honestly. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves for a second. If that defense even is remotely as bad as we may think it is, then we are really setting up for Bo Nix to do some really silly <laughs> stuff come the Iron Bowl, well, and it's going to be well, fun. They hadn't they hadn't <laughs> won there since 2015. So, but no, but here's the thing though with Georgia, like we we they haven't had to show it. Alabama has, and yeah. it hasn't been good consistently, right? Like so. That, that's why you're, I'm looking at it like at a different level, saying, all right, look, if, if we hit a collision course with Alabama and Georgia in Mercedes-Benz Stadium like we all expect, like we know that Alabama might have some serious issues. And we know that Georgia, at least in terms of what we have seen, does have a pretty explosive offense. Now, we may not know as much information about the two, but the information we've seen with Alabama is not good, or at least is not uh, consistently good. So that's where, that's why I say like, look, there's a reason to be concerned because, you know, in, in Alabama and Tuscaloosa, it is, Nick, it is national championship or bust. And, you know, right now there's only really one, maybe two, if you kind of Ohio state national championship caliber teams and well, they're not Alabama, it's Georgia and maybe Ohio state. The nightmare matchup that is lad McConkey, big, bad lad. <laughs> <laughs> Never fails with country club names in Athens. It's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely not. Hudson Swafford, Stetson Bennett, they're all the same. They all got the same swoop. All of them yep. are scratch golfers just by their names. They are yeah. scratch yes, they golfers. Are. Yes, they oh. are. <laughs> all right, uh, real quick, either or here. Texas A&M, to me, is playing its best football of the season 
I mean, this shouldn't be a surprise going through a quarterback change early on. And obviously the Alabama result is going to be startling, but I think the quality and the form of the Aggies right now is just top notch, both sides of the ball. And so I ask Texas A&M or Ole Miss power ranking style, not resume style, who you got as the second best team in the SEC West? Arkansas. Oh, no. Get out of here. Not anymore. Not Ole Miss. They could they destroyed Pine Bluff. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, they might I would, get back in the top 25 because of that Pine Bluff, yes. by the way. Because Clemson <laughs> lost and Utah lost. And you're sitting the there looking lines, for another man. team and you're like, I I don't know, like BYU beat Washington State, maybe. So I think Arkansas uh, will be back in there, but yeah. we'll see. I mean, if huh. you say power, if you say power ranking style, then I I guess you have to say the Aggies because they beat Alabama. So so if you're looking at it like from that stretch and for doing it like power ranking instead of like breaking down, probably Texas A&M. Because I would say Ole Miss. Alabama. Yeah, I'm more. I, would, I but the, the again, I think Ole Miss is the better team. But if like yeah. I said, power ranking style like over this stretch, probably A&M because Ole Miss got the doors blown off them by the same team. Yeah, but I mean, I just think for me, um, yeah, Alabama, you know, Ole Miss did, Ole Miss to me, that was, and not to say it was all Lane Kiffin, he lost his mind in that game, whereas in most other games he hasn't. So, and I think yeah. he would do that over again. The fact that they have a defense, and it's not just a, an average defense, when they are on like today, they are really good defensively. So, you know, to me, Ole, that, that to me says that Ole Miss, because we've seen it several times now, from a power ranking standpoint, is better because I still don't necessarily trust AM's offense consistently. It's just hard to wrap my arms around that. Um, and then, you know, I, I think for Ole Miss, I think we know what they are. They're the type of team in this day and age of college football that can win and at an elite level because they have a great offense and they have a good enough defense. And this year it's been way better than just good enough. So we've got an absolutely massive uh, week in the Big Ten next week. Ohio State plays Penn State. We've already discussed Penn State with the the loss in nine overtimes to Illinois. Ohio State, a 54-7 to winner in Bloomington. Jeez. The game was in primetime, and I mean no disrespect to any national broadcast partner, but this result needed btn this was a <laughs> btn noon result this was not a 7:30 kickoff 54 to 7 it was 44 to 7 at halftime and just cruising the rest of the way michigan is going to be playing michigan state as well uh in that loaded week in the big 10 michigan won 33 to 7 a little bit of a slow start for the wolverines but i mean kind of feels like their modus operandi they just lean on you with that uh, that rushing attack, and, and eventually you're going to break. The defensive line's playing really, really well. So as we look uh, in sort of the the landscape of the Big Ten results, with an eye ahead on what's to come, are are you? Are you Michigan State was off, by the way. Uh, are you feeling uh, a certain way about Michigan? Was there any moment in the early stages of that Northwestern game where you were a little bit concerned? Uh, are you a believer that Michigan's going to be able to continue this style, beat Michigan State, and be a player in the Big Ten East? Um, and of course, you know, as Ohio State continues to roll, and Ohio State will be hosting Penn State in Columbus for that game. You know, what are your expectations as we look at these four teams? Four teams. They will no longer all be in the top 10 as they were going into the weekend, but still four teams that I do think will be in the top 25 heading into a, a weekend that will determine the Big Ten East race. Are you asking me if I think Michigan can beat Ohio State? I think I want to know if you think Michigan can beat Michigan State first. I yes. think that's the, okay. Yes. yes. I don't think Michigan yeah. can beat Ohio State, though. I do, do you, no. does today change anything? Did you think Michigan was prepared to beat Michigan State? before today or do you think that there was something that you saw yeah i've, I've felt michigan's better than michigan state for a few weeks like okay. i i just think that defensively they're phenomenal and i think that michigan state is good but it's still you know it's been a lot of explosive plays on offense and kenneth walker being amazing and i don't know if defensively they're they have quite the same kind of talent that michigan has and i think michigan offensively is still one dimensional. Like they can run the ball. They're not really much passing the ball. Like they, they 
averaged just over five yards per attempt today against Northwestern. So it's if your receivers are having a lot of trouble getting open against Northwestern, I worry about what you're going to be doing against better teams. But I I think that this Michigan-Michigan State next game next week will be interesting. I'm probably going to pick Michigan to win. Don't know the spread yet, so I can't really give you any indication there. But just based on what I've seen, I feel like Michigan is the be- second best team in the East, but it's not good enough to beat Ohio State. Because I think that Ohio State, since that Oregon game, they made the switch, the defensive coordinator, they're, they've still got problems defensively. Like I don't think that they're suddenly good, but I think that they're a little more unpredictable and they're a little bit more difficult for opposing offenses to read before the snap, which is kind of making life easier for them. So I, I, I just I, I don't know how Michigan scores enough points to keep up, honestly. Yeah, this is setting up for Michigan to, I would say, go into that last weekend undefeated. And we're going to get the top top five. And Mm -hmm. No, not just lose. I mean, Ohio State's going to beat them by about 30. And we're going to go, well, and then the Michigan administration is going to look at Harbaugh and go, but he's consistent. (laughs) And and it's going to be the same thing over and over again. Because like that that Ohio State team, it's, it's so strange to me how they lost the game to Oregon in Columbus. And as opposed to the previous years where everyone complains about Ohio State getting the benefit of the doubt, it was like everyone wrote them off for dead. Like in a weird way, they've never done before with Ohio State. They were like, oh, well, look, they suck finally. How's that? (laughs) Wait, what? And then week after week, you know, and this is a testament to I this is why I think and Tom pointed out too with the defense. This is why I think Ryan Day is undoubtedly one of the best coaches in college football, like the absolute top tier of what you can do as a college football head coach and why people said, Hey, when urban Meyer left, this guy's an upgrade. This isn't a downgrade. This guy's an upgrade from urban because he made the changes you need to make. And that offense, it it was just a matter of it clicking because when you have Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, CJ Stroud was, he's just a young kid. He was learning his, learning his way. And then when Ryan day helped them put it all together, I don't care if Indiana, who this is what you get. And we're just going to end up with the status quo in the Big Ten right now. I had hope for maybe a week or two that ah, something's going to be different. Nothing's going to be different. Michigan goes into that game and loses by about 30. What's, what's truly hilarious <laughs> is think about how, like, for the first two months of the season, we talked about how crazy it's been. Like, there's been all sorts of upsets. We've had more ranked teams losing than ever before. Oh, my God, this is this is like 20, 2007 all over again. And we're going to end up with Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. And yes. like, oh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's- exactly. Because I had some hope for Cincinnati, but today hey, we'll get to they, Cincinnati they, and Oklahoma. I'm going to save them yeah. for the other side of the break. We got to talk about two and three struggling a little bit. I want to get the Big Ten out of here. Barrett, what, how, how do you read sort of that foursome in the Big Ten East? Yeah, I mean, Michigan is is definitely the clear-cut number two. Penn State, I mean, good Lord. Yeah, I mean, they're, they are just dreadful. So, you know, I think it is Ohio State-Michigan. I think it's interesting, though, because what if they do get to the Ohio State game undefeated, right, and they lose? That's a one-loss non-division, uh, non-division champ in, in the race to the playoff that would have a couple of pretty good wins on its resume, theoretically speaking, as long as Michigan State doesn't fall off the face of the earth. So at that point, what does the rest of the landscape look like? Wouldn't take many dominoes to fall for Michigan to have a pretty realistic shot at the playoff. So, you know, it's a chaotic season. But Tom's right. Like, we've, we've sort of taken a circuitous route to the same destination, right? Like, and, and I know folks will say, like, you know, this is the same stuff over and over again. Well, this is not the same stuff over and over again. It might end in, a same, in the same way. But the regular season is completely different this year. So, I mean, I think that in the Big Ten, it's way more intriguing now because you do have a competitive Michigan. You have a, an offensive-minded Michigan that can run the dang football. And Ohio State, you know, yeah, they're coming along. They're, they're an elite football team. But this is probably the best Michigan team that Harbaugh's had so far. So I don't know if that means anything. Probably doesn't. But at least a one-loss Michigan team would have a chance. Does anybody have uh, ECU Houston up right I now? do. Okay. No, I no, I've got Braves postgame. Okay, it's uh it's 24-24 with 4 minutes and 50 seconds left according to the score tracker. And so I just want to stamp this because I'm going to say this again as I said last week on the instant reaction pod, there's just over 4 minutes remaining. If anything goes bananas in these final 4 minutes, we'll document it. 
I don't think we'll have golf balls or mustard bottles as we did <laughs> when I opened last week's show and said, if anything goes bananas, we'll document it. But Tom, uh, keep us informed if anything goes crazy. If ECU Houston goes to alternating two-point conversions, um, Barrett, we might let you go celebrate the Bravos at that point. Maybe Tom and I'll just take it home as two <laughs> true degenerates. But uh, I at least I'm still to waiting for my 10-year-old to get home from the game, so I got some time. <laughs> oh, he's at the know. bar. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, he's at PBR riding the bull right now. Love that. Coming up on the other side, we mentioned it earlier, but number two and number three in the AP poll, Cincinnati and Oklahoma, both found themselves in precarious situations as heavy favorites. They escaped with the wins, but did our opinions of either of these teams change? We'll get into that and more of our Week 8 reactions next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, let's start with Oklahoma because we, I think, I think it might have been on CBS Sports HQ, Tom, when we uh, we mentioned, you know, can Caleb Williams uh, win the Heisman Trophy? And we said, no, probably not because, you know, it's only half a season, but the Heisman electorate loves shiny new things and you have to fill out three spots on your ballot. So sure, Caleb Williams could definitely end up being a, uh, a a Heisman Trophy finalist. We could see him in New York if the Oklahoma Sooners are 13-0 and in the college football playoff. Is it possible that Caleb Williams had a weird Heisman moment here, Tom? <laughs> what, by stripping the ball from his own teammate for a first down? It was a literally headline-worthy. Like, we go to the headlines of all the major websites on the college football pages, and this is this play is one of the ones right at the top um. Yeah. yeah. Are you saying we should replace like the Heisman Trophy pose with Caleb Williams stripping the ball? <laughs> if if we do, then I want the twenty. Kenny Brooks's number is twenty four, right? Maybe that could be the cover three award we were talking about on Wednesday show. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the cover three podcast award can be uh, whoever has the most uh, opportune presence of mind to be able to strip the ball from your own teammate and extend it on a fourth down to be able to get the first down. I mean, the all right, so the the Oklahoma Sooners offense with Caleb Williams, our supposed superstar and the legend of the second half of the season, did not put up a single point against a Kansas defense that was giving up 7.35 yards per play, a number that ranks number 129 out of 130 FBS teams coming into the game. Trailing 10-0 at halftime, they outscored Kansas the rest of the way, 35-23. to I saw an awesome reference here that I did not remember, but in 2002, there was a Miami team that was ranked number one in the country, played Rutgers, and just totally tripped all over itself until like the fourth quarter and then hit the gas and was able to run away with it late. Uh, I, I do not remember that game, but this certainly had that same kind of feel where, you know, by the end of it, I, I don't know. Did your opinion change about the Oklahoma Sooners based on this game against Kansas? 
No. I mean, it was... Oklahoma has not been... Oklahoma's undefeated. Oklahoma's the best team in the Big 12. And if Oklahoma wins out, it will be in the playoff. But at no point this season has Oklahoma struck me as like a truly elite team. So for it to come out on a sleepy morning in Lawrence, Kansas, in a game where it probably feels like it's got, it can just show up and win, I'm not shocked that they got off to a slow start in Kansas. A team that's looking at Oklahoma like it's their Super Bowl is going to come out fired up looking to play. So I, it doesn't shock me. I, I don't think it was a very impressive performance, but they did come back, and in the second half, they outscored them 35-13, to 13, which is probably what we expected the first half to look like. So not a great game, but I'm not going to sit here and knock Oklahoma and say that they're not as good. They're, prob- they're the same team I think they've always been. They just didn't have a very good day. Yeah. I mean, look, that's, I think it's disappointing to me. Maybe the expectations, I don't know about you guys, but I thought the defense would be significantly better this year. I mean, obviously thought Spencer Rattler won the Heisman. So what do I know? But, you know, I thought the, I think a lot of us expected the defense to be a lot better since what, you know, last year they were pretty darn solid, but you know, maybe we didn't follow, maybe I didn't follow the same mantra of just throw last year out the window. You can't take anything for, for anything out of the COVID year. Cause it, I, they're better off with Caleb Williams at quarterback because they can run the football with him, thus keeping their defense on the sideline. But, I mean, man, it's it's not a team that can win the playoff. It's a team that can make the playoff, which is the same thing we talked about over and over and over again for with Oklahoma for the last de- uh, half decade. But, I mean, right now it's disappointing because I think a lot of us expected better and they didn't deliver. Right. It, it, if this had happened in week one against Kansas – then this conversation would probably be a little more relevant. Yeah. But again, we've seen what this Oklahoma team is. So, I mean, was it a little concerning that, you know, they were that bad against Kansas? Yeah. I, I mean, a little bit, especially like, you know, we had a week and a half of seeing of it being perceived that Caleb Williams give this, gives this offense such a, like a, a whole other dimension but again, that was it was a week and a half, and TCU's defense is not a typical Gary Patterson TCU defense. That it, it's not very good. It, it, so last week was what it was. But again, like we like Tom said, we know what this Oklahoma team is. So we're not. I don't think you have to just you know start calling for the end of the world here with the Sooners because again, and they're still in position to win the Big Twelve, get back to the playoff, get blown out by somebody, and we say, all right, we'll see you next year. Yep. So, um, Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State. It is a backloaded schedule for the Sooners. We're doing a lot of this. And, and everyone who has listened to the Cover 3 podcast for a long time knows that I believe in the Gary Patterson suggestion that beating Lincoln twice is almost impossible. Because if you let him look at your defense once, you might be able to get him. But after that first look, it's really, really tough in the rematch. And the Big 12 does not, it sets up well for Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley because of that. It seems like we're doing a lot of head nodding at the idea that Oklahoma's 13 0 in the college football playoff. Yep. Do do we think that they run through that threesome of uh, of Baylor, of um, Iowa State, of Oklahoma State, and not take a loss? They could I, easily lose one of those games. I was going to yeah. I, how do I put this? Like 13-0 and 0 seems like the outcome, but it would not shock me in the least. Like I would, like again, like if we're sitting here having this conversation again and say, oh, Baylor just beat Oklahoma, I'm going to go, oh, yeah. yeah, of course they did. What's, one the, of those belief in, what's the belief in Iowa State coming off the Oklahoma State game? They that did. was the best yeah. I've seen Iowa State look all year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was the I best they looked all year. Was... But but what does that actually mean, though? I mean, has have our have our expectations lowered about, uh, from Iowa State because some of us like the idea was that they were going to be a French playoff team and make the Big Twelve championship game. I, for me, you know, my expectations for Iowa State lowered a little bit throughout the course of the season. So you know, yeah, that was probably the best they looked, and and yeah, it was it was solid. But I mean, I, it's it's Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders has you know been a liability this year at times. So I. If you're playing the the brand of football that you want to play, which is what Iowa State did against Oklahoma State, that's just the way the matchup was. I I don't know if you can take anything really from that. I mean, for me, what stands out from Iowa State today that was impressive to me is because the one thing I've kind of 
criticize them for is they don't really have an explosive offense. And they didn't have a huge number of big plays, but they had a lot. Their big plays were big plays. Like they had five big plays for 176 yards. And that's just something they've been lacking all season long. Although one of them was just, should we talk about the dumbest personal foul for taunting oh in God. what might be the history of professional sports on that Hutchinson touchdown? But um, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. It was the, dumbest <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> like, what are we trying to accomplish with that? It's so dumb. I, like, I, are you trying to teach the kid a lesson about humility? Like, what are you trying I, to do? Like, like, look, I, if you're high stepping into the end zone and like showing off, like that's kind of why the rule exists, right? Like, if you're making a complete t- a fool of yourself, then you know that's. I don't agree with the rule being in place, but that's why the rule exists. I mean, the dude was just celebrating on the way to the end zone. What's the problem? Play it out for the listeners who didn't watch it. What did he do? And, and what was the penalty? He kind of like he, he from what I saw, he broke free, long touchdown, no defender near him. So he kind of cruised to the goal line at the end, turned back, looked over his shoulder, did like a little Deion Sanders high step like once. A very just, slight one. Yeah, yeah very, not even, like not, even, not like a full Rockets kick. Right. Yeah. Like the leg came up a little bit and then he scored the touchdown and they threw a flag on him and took it back because this is football and you're allowed to bash somebody's brain in for three and a half hours. But damn it, if you dare hurt somebody's feelings, oh, that's a penalty. That had to be a like a singular official um, position. Like they, they were like tripped. Like some wire, some circuit breaker just sort of broke there because I, I think that every week we see reactions, celebrations. We we see um, a player going to the touchdown and and having something with their teammate or even individually or looking at the fans. I mean, the whether you're throwing horns down, whether you're throwing you down, or, or yeah. like whatever it is, like there's always a little bit of sauce. Um, yeah. I. I've got to think that was individual, right? Like, there's no way that we're seeing that. Isn't that a, a theme in the NFL this year, and that, well, that they're trying to crack down on? Are they also trying to do it in college? I haven't noticed it as much with these egregious personal foul penalties. Here's the great irony to me, just as a general sports fan. Like when we think of the sports, baseball is the one that always gets pegged as being the old man sport that doesn't want to have any fun, right? As far as I know, baseball is the only major professional sport in the United States that doesn't penalize a team yeah. for celebrating right now. Every other league does, but baseball gets pegged as the no fun sport. It's true. It's and now, and now baseball's kind of given up on that. The unwritten rules are kind of out the window at this yeah. point. And and like Tom said, irony. Like our sport is built on what these traditional what rivalries. And the hatred one team for that's what our sport is built on more than any other one out there. Yeah. And then we're telling these kids, no, you can't, no, you can't do that. No, you can't taunt him. You can't. And it, it and it looks even dumber. But no, t- today that was that Hutchinson. When I saw that finally, because I saw people freaking out about it, I saw the as soon as I saw the video, I thought I missed something. <laughs> I watched it back because I thought I missed it. And then I said, Oh no, there's a little high step. Okay, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Um, okay, so I, I've got a, a lot of other sort of like individual one-liners here uh, about to uh, open the table. So where where do y'all want to go? Because, I mean, do we want to start with DJU getting benched? Do we write off Clemson? Are they done for the season? Do we put them back in their box and like just sort of take a break from them? Or do we even want to go on this ride anymore? Because <laughs> guess what? The, the team and the program, like as I've mentioned before, that has – I think the number was 16 or 17 players that were on the preseason depth chart knocked out for at least multiple weeks, if not the entire season, they get Will Shipley back. Oh, that's awesome. But guess what? You lost an offensive lineman and this was an offensive line that could not block anyone, any more injuries. And was one of your best offensive linemen. He leaves the game on crutches. They're, a fantastic win for Pitt. I don't want to, as somebody who wears a bunch of Pitt t-shirts and hoodies from Home Field Apparel, much love to Home Field Apparel. Big news Saturday. Check them out, Home Field Apparel. Um, I, I, of course, am excited for Pat Narduzzi, for Kenny Pickett, and for the Panthers not forgetting sort of falling into a trap there against a very, very good Clemson defense. But are, are, are we done with the Tigers? Are we putting them away they're not going to win the ACC. We knew that they were not going to make the college football playoff. They, 
is is that where we are from the big time like national perspective just totally readjusting our expectations for that program because as we go down the list of the teams that have been successful in the college football playoff era that is the only one that is like truly multiple steps off the pace i'm i'm not writing them off for good i'm writing them off for this year yeah when, when it comes to the acc my focus will now be on Pitt and wake forest that's it because those are the only two teams right now in the ACC that I think have any hope or any shot of getting to the playoff. Facts. No, I, uh, yeah. Not, not saying like, they look. will. Just saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, with Clemson, like, yeah, it, you write them off for the season. I, I think, though, it is interesting, you know, what to make of Clemson moving forward. Because, you know, traditional powers that have gone through lulls and come back, like, you know, Notre Dame and Alabama and USC and Texas, like they they have that tradition. They have that history. Well, Dabo built the history. Like Dabo is the history at Clemson. So mm-hmm. it's a little different in the sense that, okay, when they do come back, what are they going to be? Because it might not look like it did before because they don't necessarily have the same storylines and same history as some of these other schools. That's a good point. Uh, Wake Forest put a 70-burger on the board. <laughs> they lost time of possession. I watched. <laughs> I watched every snap. I, y- y'all know how many times Wake punted? Zero. The, the man so did not swing his leg once. They had That's a turnover so on towns. <laughs> was, they went for it on fourth and one and got stopped. Uh, Army, to its credit, had 56 points of its own in this game after losing its starting quarterback in the first half. So, you know, if you want to look at that side of things you know when we're when we're judging wake forest but i mean if kenny pickett's gonna get this sort of dark horse heisman trophy love i don't expect sam hartman will either i think my argument for wake forest is that the wake forest passing attack in which i am also including jakari roberson and at perry uh, and the rest of those wide receivers, the scheme itself, Warren Ruggiero as the offensive coordinator and Dave Clawson as an offensive uh, head coach coming up through the ranks who had his hands, obviously, on this as well. I think that the Wake Forest passing attack is one of my favorite in the entire country. I mean, I don't want to. Well, no, this is still on topic. It's Wake Forest. But like the name, his name's brought up every year. What what has this year done for Dave Clawson getting what you could say is a better job than Wake Forest, finally. His name is brought up every year, but what is this year doing for him when it comes time in the offseason to maybe move on to somewhere else? I mean, I don't think he's going to get the LSU job. I don't think he's oh, going to no, get... Oh, no, I'm not saying anything like that. No, no, no but no. I, I'm saying, though, like if James Franklin left Penn State yeah. or LSU or I USC, like I think Dave Clawson would be a very, or definitely somebody that Penn State should very like look at. I yeah. think that makes a lot of sense for them. But I, I think that, I mean, it's I hate doing this to Wake because he's been very good at Wake for a long time. Like you said, he's been a name that's been mentioned as like a guy that somebody should hire for quite a few different jobs over the years. And he hasn't left. He hasn't taken it. So it's, I don't know, man, Dave Clawson might just be happy doing what he's doing at Wake. Yeah. yeah. And if so, they keep this fun going. Cause I love seeing Wake Forest play like this. I love this. Like this was I chip. I didn't watch every snap like you, but I watched (laughs) most of them. I watched most of them today and oh boy, that was fun. Well, and the thing with 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 Clawson is like you know he, he's going to get a bigger job right like that's what we're talking about he's going to get an elite job if he goes on from Wake well he doesn't fit with any of the ones that are probably going to be open right now mm-hmm. right so like if it would be one thing if it was like you know like Penn State would be a perfect example but how many of those jobs are already open or will be open right now I mean LSU and USC don't only fit him he had a routine of like rebuilding moving on rebuilding moving on rebuilding moving on. He has been at Wake Forest since 2014, and it feels like this is his Sistine Chapel, right? Like he's done the yeah, get, yeah. get old and stay old. We redshirt everybody. The whole Dagum team is 22, 23, 24 years old and stays 22, 23, 24 years old. 
and we've got a system. And as long as they've got a quarterback, you know, whether it is a Sam Hartman, whether it is a Jamie Newman, uh, that offense, man, is cooking right now uh, and very impressive. So the interesting thing for Wake Forest, they've got Duke coming up next, but then the final four games, I'm going to do this off the top of my head, so I'm not going to get it perfect, but it's North Carolina, it's NC State, it's Boston College, and it's Clemson. It might not be in that order, but do you trust Wake Forest to be able to get all the way through there with over under one loss? Over. Push. I just, yeah, I, I'm i going to go over just because I, I think that they're really good. I just don't think they're talented enough to where I can rely on them not to have a bad day. And then just, I, I think that, you know, there are teams like we saw with Oklahoma today, like you have a bad day, but your talent allows you to overcome your opponent because you're just better than they are. I don't think weight can afford to have a bad day because it doesn't have that talent. And it's kind of unrealistic to say that some, like everybody's going to have a bad day at some point, like every team in the country does. So when you look at that schedule, I don't think it'll be against Duke, but when you look at, at North Carolina, NC state at Clemson at BC, three of your final four games are on the road and three, you know, who knows what Clemson will be at that point. And BC is always kind of tough, but they could lose two of those games. I think. Yeah. I don't I know. Mean, the, what do we make at NC state now? I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, what do we make at NC state after that Miami game? And Clemson obviously is Clemson. So, I mean, I, I think they're, I think they'll lose one. I think they'll go into the ACC championship game as a one loss team. Does a one loss pit or one loss wake that wins the ACC get a playoff berth? No. Pitt lost to Western Michigan. So that's yeah, the thing. That's, what the hell was that yeah. loss? Like that's right? going to be an ultimate head scratcher at the end of the season. It's like, oh yeah, Pitt went twelve and one, won the ACC, and got sent to the Peach Bowl because it <laughs> lost to Western <laughs> Michigan. Yeah, Kenny uh, Pickett was knocked out of that game for a series or three, but he still lost. Still. Yeah, even, even still, and you know what hurt them? Western Michigan lost to Toledo today in a battle between two of the best teams in the MAC, and so you. Uh, you know, and, and we're also trusting Pitt, by the way, to be able to keep this rolling, right? We do yeah. realize how ridiculous that is because Pitt happens. <laughs> Everyone knows. It does happen. It was supposed happen. to happen today, but it didn't. Uh, yeah, my man Connor in the chat calling me out for uh, what I normally accuse as cowardice whole numbers for over-unders, mm -hmm. which is a fair thing, but I... I'm okay taking a push when we're talking about a four-game sample set. We're not talking about 12 games when you're going to give me these you're a coward. numbers. All nah, right. You're right. Chip's a coward. Okay. Uh, all right. So the, the board's open. Uh, any kind of shout-out or anything that you want to turn some attention to? Uh, Jack, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, I'm disappointed in Cincinnati because yeah. you had one job. Cincinnati, look, like I want – this this was the year that Cincinnati could have – broken through that playoff barrier. But what they had to do after the Notre Dame win was go through the rest of the American, but not just win, blow the doors off them. Last week, I, I applauded them. I said, okay, that's how you do That's what That's what you got to do. You do that every week, then if everything keeps shaking out the way it is, they're not going to deny you because they're going to say, okay, if you've proven that you could take care of your, your peers like this, then okay, we'll let you have a shot at the big boys. They want even in 27, 10, sure, but I mean, that whole for what two and a half quarters against Navy, that's where the playoff committee is going to look at that and go, absolutely yeah. not, absolutely not, not doing it. Yeah, because my I, and my dream is dead because I wanted there to come a selection <laughs> Sunday where this where the playoff committee said, okay, we have an undefeated Wake Forest and we have an undefeated Cincinnati. What do we do here? What do we do? Who do we put in? <laughs> But no, since I'm so disappointed, I am so disappointed in Cincinnati right now. It's going to take me a bit to get over it. I, I'm, uh, I'm really happy. I'm happy for Ole Miss because, and, and specifically that defense, the players on that defense, because man, they got ripped for, they've gotten ripped even when they were winning, when Hugh Freeze was there. And finally, they look like they are a, 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 a team that can actually stop the, that can play like a unit, right? I, looking back, like they've got talented players. They've got really good players, and they had them last year. DJ Durkin comes in as the defensive coordinator, and you know, COVID just doesn't allow him to 
to do what he wants to do. And remember, they had a bunch of shutdowns too before last season. So I think that Ole Miss, after just constantly getting ripped defensively through three different coaching regimes, uh, the fact that they can come out and post a, a pretty good defense most of the time is uh, is awesome. And those fans deserve it because I think right now it feels different than it did for Hugh Freeze uh, because they, they feel like now they're way more of a complete of a football team. Uh, my shout-outs to finish off. Let's see. First, I would, to go back to what you were talking about with Cincinnati, I kind of look at that. I, I, I think you're right 100% because the college football playoffs is going to look for anything to nitpick for any reason to keep them out. But I, I view that as the same way I, I look at the Oklahoma game. It's like, you're a really good team. You just had a bad day against an option team, and that happens. But still, yeah, you, you'd like to see them blow Navy out just to impress people. Uh, also, um, Notre Dame is still a playoff contender. <laughs> it beat USC. It only has one loss, and that one loss is to Cincinnati. So it's got the resume loss booster on its there. So that always helps. And also, just finally, quick shout out to I know Illinois beat Penn State today, but I want to shout out the best college football team in the state of Illinois right now, Northern Illinois, mm-hmm. which improved to 4 0 in the MAC, a team that came into the season with a win total of four. Bud locked up the under before the season began. And now this is a Huskies team that is six and two, has already won four games in the MAC, has a two-game lead on everybody else in its division. Shout out to Thomas Hammock and that team. They are doing a phenomenal job that came out of nowhere. <laughs> I would like to shout out Anthony Brown for proving me both wrong and right all in the same game. I said that he was uh, the lesser quarterback to Dorian Thompson Robinson, and he had some incredible plays, some great scrambles, some designed runs. He was the playmaker. Uh, Travis Dye got a lot of the touchdowns, but like all of his touchdowns, I think were an average of two and a half yards mm-hmm. uh, over the course <laughs> of that game. Uh, Brown did a fantastic job of getting that Ducks offense the plays that they needed, and at the same time, making the horrible throws that allowed UCLA to stay within that game. But Oregon remains. Uh, in the college football playoff picture. And since I live blogged it, I'll I'll double down on that Notre Dame thing. Brian Kelly said after the game that this was the most complete game that the Notre Dame offense had had. And I will agree with that. Mm -hmm. Kyle Hamilton going down with an injury is significant. Not so great. Not so great. But I do think that Notre Dame will be the favorite, the betting favorite in every game remaining on its schedule. And if Notre Dame is able to take care of business, that is a very unique one-loss resume but I think that Notre Dame taking care of business and winning every game that it's favored to win is going to require that offensive line that has continued to be shuffled uh, to play well. Jack Cohn, they played with a lot of tempo. And I think that the way that Tommy Reese put that game plan in, you know, the tempo disarmed a lot of the weaknesses that they have along the offensive line and allowed for some space to free up. So as long as they can continue to do that, uh, I think that that can be something that works for the Roadrunner. I mean, excuse me, for the Fighting Irish, which brings me to the page <laughs> I have pulled up right now, which is UTSA. Eight and O, the Roadrunners are. They went to Ruston against a Louisiana Tech team that has been competitive against good teams this season, and they just worked them. 45 to 16 winners against Louisiana Tech, and now they go to play UTEP in an absolutely massive game in Cayusa, which we need to soak up every big Cayusa game that we've got left because we don't know how many more we'll have. Not many. And so uh, the game of the week, potentially in week nine, at least uh, in a certain part of the country, UTSA at UTEP, UTSA 4-0 in conference play, 8-0 overall, UTEP 3-0 in conference play, 6-1 overall. Only one of those teams can make it to the Conference USA Championship game, even though they both probably are in UAB, two in the same division. Mm. Mm. Mm-mm. Competitive stuff there. In the the fact that we're talking about UTEP being in a big game, I mean, I, I don't know how many. Like, doing our CBS 130 rankings, I always sort of had like UTEP in that 125 to 130 range every single Like <laughs> I didn't even think about moving them anywhere else. And then like week three rolls around, I'm like, oh, dang, they won some football games. Yeah, there's some things them up a little can- bit. There's some things you think you can count on, and then you yeah, right. going to a bowl game. What, one more shout-out I forgot, too. 
Uh, BYU beat Washington State today, 21 to 19, which means BYU has four wins against Pac-12 teams, which is more than any team in the Pac-12 has. So shout out to BYU. And, and they still have USC on the schedule. Yep. They can go 5-0 and when I, I all mean, is said and done. With Utah losing to Oregon State, is there not an argument that if Oregon wins the North with one loss, they would be better off putting BYU in the title game against it to help its resume than anybody well, from well, the, They would. <laughs> Absolutely. There is an argument. Uh, gut check Saturday wins. Kansas State 25, Texas Tech 24. Uh, winner of that game might be bowling. Loser of that game might not. And uh, sorry, Matt Wells. You're on the wrong end of that one. Gut check Saturday, Syracuse 41, Virginia Tech 36. That's the one. Are we going to have a Fuente pod tomorrow? That's the one. I don't know if Fuente is emergency pod level. But are we going to have like a... No, I am am the editor on duty on our staff tomorrow, and I have already been thinking through scenarios in my head, Tom. Of start getting it, the candidates it, list ready. Yeah, start getting everything. <laughs> like uh I, I started looking up what Fuente's record is and j- just because just you know who Virginia Tech should hire? Dave Clawson. Yeah. You know, I was gonna bring <laughs> yes. that up before. I was it was in my head, but I was like, I don't know, like Wake Forest to Virginia Tech, he might look at it as but it, hey, they should go after him if they could. So Virginia Tech can still make a bowl game. Can you just go ahead and fire him? <laughs> I would. I would because I would look at just the perform. Perform even if they do make a bowl. I would. I would. You have to go to Fuente at this point and say this just ain't working, man. Right. Yeah. It's not working. Yeah. You just. Uh, I think you let Hamilton be the interim, take it the rest of the way, and uh, and just move on, man. This you you've done this dance with uh, with Justin Fuente too many times. All right. Uh, one of the reasons why we have the upon further review show is because you know we come to you live as as things are just slowly un- unraveling. We've been live blogging. Congrats to Houston, thirty one twenty four overtime winners against ECU. That Hawaii, as we leave you here on this podcast with a big seven point lead against New Mexico State in the uh, the pay per view or stream only game, uh, the last one of the evening. Uh, anything else we want to get out of here before we uh, put a wrap on it until Monday? I'm That's good. It. No, I think uh, we covered everything. Shout out Kansas State for coming back to beat Texas Tech and getting me a little closer to my overwind total. They they need them to go two and three down the stretch, and one of those games is against Kansas. So let's go Wildcats! I told oh, you. Go ahead. And shout out to South Carolina for at least getting double digits in yardage today because it didn't Ooh, look like it was rough. <laughs> that oh, was Wisconsin found an offense. Wisconsin scored 30 points in one game. I Somebody pointed out early in the week that Purdue laid a massive egg after beating Ohio State. They did. In 2018. Mm-hmm. And I... They did it again today. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, like a lazy college football fan, copied and pasted a result from three years ago. But guess what? Like a lazy college football fan, it paid off. So I'm going to continue to continue the principle but, that Purdue God, can't win a second game for- after those big ones. God bless Purdue, though, because you know what? It doesn't matter what they, who they lose to, how they lose, because this thing they do where every few years they wake up on a Saturday against a top five team, top, and they black out, and they wake up like out of, out of a blackout drunk stupor, and somebody goes, hey, man, you just beat Ohio State. Hey, man, you just beat the number two Iowa. And they're like, wait, what? Huh? What happened? What? So I, I don't know. Really? It's it's the Will Ferrell old school. What happened? I just blacked out after you <laughs> win the state. It's yeah. exactly what it is. I it love is. It. Uh, listen, sincerely, thank you so much, uh, Jack Crosby, our awesome college football editor, uh, who participates in a lot of the planning and a lot of the promotion and distribution. He puts in a lot of work on this podcast. Thank you so much for lending your time, Barrett Salee. We chop it up on CBS Sports HQ all the time together. Great to be able to share this space with you here on YouTube and on the audio feed as well. Tom Fernelli, thank you so much for, uh, listen, you had a, a very, very, very big day filled with lots and lots of emotions and you packed it all in and, and, and you brought it to us here and, and gave us the good. So I appreciate it as well. You can follow him on Twitter at 
Jack Crosby CBS or Jay Crosby CBS? Jay Crosby CBS. Jay Crosby CBS. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Barrett Silly. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I-L-L. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.